This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts. Pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Payhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. And welcome back to the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. As I was saying in the open, we're bringing back one of our uh, returning champions. We last talked to him at the start of the NFL season. Uh, Andrew Buckholtz is a contributor to Awful Announcing and The Comeback. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Alex. Yeah, good to see you, uh, as always. Um, So a few things I want to get into here I guess the big national sports media story of the week would be these uh reported ESPN layoffs that are coming the New York Post Andrew Marchand says there are no sacred cows so uh that gets people uh, very curious um but basically I guess the first point is how should we view these layoffs because it's in the post article ESPN generates three quarters of a billion dollars per month in cable fees alone and that's before they even sell an advertisement so ESPN on its own seems to be doing all right, but Disney, of course, really struggling, lost over $120 billion in market share last year. We know they had to bring back Bob Iger to replace Bob Chapek. So how should we view the, these ESPN layoffs? Is it a commentary on ESPN's business, or is this much more about Disney, which is undergoing broad cuts this year as well? Yeah, I, I think it goes even, I think it's more about Disney, but I think it goes yes. even beyond Disney because okay. we're seeing this across the tech and the media sector, yep. right? We've seen right. big layoffs at Amazon. We're seeing most, we're seeing it at Google. Like a, a lot, most of these big companies are undergoing cuts and layoffs of some sort. Right. Um, I, I think, and it's interesting how different that is in terms of ESPN and the narrative around ESPN than it was, say, around 2017, right. when there were the major waves of ESPN layoffs. At that time, ESPN was being blamed as a drag on Disney's stock price. It was coming up in every quarterly earnings call as loss of ESPN, shortfall at ESPN, ESPN not hitting revenue projections. That's not really the case anymore. And at the moment, under this new reorganization, um, ESPN is now one of three main Disney divisions. Uh, I I wrote a big thing a little while ago about how that and other things going on, in my mind at least, make it a little less likely that ESPN is going to be spun off because everyone keeps talking about how important ESPN is to this company, how tightly it is integrated with all of these various other Disney efforts. And so absolutely, there are going to be layoffs, there there are going to be cuts. Some of that, though, um, a deadline piece on on these these layoffs was talking about how a, a lot of it is 
Iger putting his own stamp on the company again and trying to centralize a lot of things. I'm including mm. centralizing different different marketing things mm. uh, and integrating even integrating even more across Disney, across ESPN, across these different units. Mm. So I, I think these layoffs they're going to they're going to be painful for many of the ESPN. A lot of good people are likely to lose jobs, but I don't think it's any indication of ESPN struggling. No, right. That is so interesting because ESPN had big layoffs in 2015, 17, of course, at the start Mm -hmm. of the pandemic, like so many other places. And like you said, I remember in 2017, I mean, it was a huge talking point on WEI. I was on, you know, ESPN Mm -hmm. and everyone had their own narrative about why ESPN was struggling. Of Mm -hmm. course, that was the height of Trump and all that stuff. Um, But yeah, it is different now. And I really think it is, as you said, not just Disney, but the larger media landscape because you even look at disney plus that's really struggled over the last year or so but streaming as a whole has really struggled over the last year they've seemed to reach the ceiling there so i think disney like so many other companies is as you said just figuring out like where to go next and with not to get too into it but with interest rates higher and everything it just Mm -hmm. it's a messy situation and this really seems like it's beyond espn yeah, the, well, and I think uh, the other thing to keep in mind there, too, is when something like this does happen across a lot of companies, when you see it, and a lot of tech companies in particular, right. see it, you see it across Amazon, across Google, Disney in a lot of ways is a tech company, too, especially Correct. when you're talking about the streaming side. Well, when they all decide to do it at once, a lot of those out-of-work people wind up going and working for the other company that just laid people off and coming in at a lower rate than they were making. So so there's there's something to it, I think, in terms of the wider sector, what that means and how uh, how a lot of those companies are trying to, trying to save money, trying to get cheaper, uh, trying to reduce headcounts. And maybe if they do uh, bring, in, bring in new people, they're not doing so at quite the rate they would have in the past right well yeah at the start of covid all these tech companies hired like crazy and then it's demand lessons unfortunately positions have to go away as well um what i also think is interesting about these reported layoffs just in terms of espn is i think in a lot of ways it's a good mirror into our current economy so in the new york post andrew marshan says that you know, Joe Buck makes 15 mil, Troy Aikman, 18 mil, Stephen mm-hmm. A. Smith, 12 mil, Scott Van Pelt makes a lot. And those are, you know, untouchable guys. And ESPN is still spending big. Uh, they're going after Pat McAfee. We know about their massive $2.7 billion annual NFL rights deal. And, you know, and Marshan says, you know, it's the people making maybe high six figures who don't move the needle who may, who are definitely mm-hmm. in danger here. And uh, I think just, you know, you look at our economy, right? The rich get richer and there's less money and less room for everybody else, it seems like these Mm -hmm. ESPN layoffs are following the same trajectory, right? Like ESPN still spending big and more money than ever before, frankly, on big ticket Mm -hmm. names, big ticket items. And then there's less room for everybody else who doesn't move the needle as much. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I think that that would, to me, was the story of the on-air layoffs in 2017. it, It wasn't the absolute top people and the people making the most money it was a lot of sort of that that middle range of, of espn talents who were recognizable familiar but were not getting stephen a smith levels of prominence and money or mike greenberg levels of prominence and money and I, yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if that is the focus again here um i do think something something to keep in mind here though with 
ESPN layoffs. We, we talk, you talked about how they've done so many of these different rounds o- over the years. Well, in a lot of these rounds, the names that get cut are not people that a lot of the world outside ESPN production. knows. They're, they're production people, exactly. they're yeah. marketing people, they're... they're like there is so much that goes right. into ESPN right. beyond the people we see on camera. And it, it's quite possible that that could be a big, fa- big factor here again. And it's still absolutely notable and worth covering that there are these layoffs and how many people are affected by it. But it's not necessarily um, it's not necessarily going to be names that everybody knows and recognizes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. Absolutely. Um, some of the names that everyone knows and recognizes are the ESPN, of course, Adam Schefter, all these great NFL insiders. And uh, this is a huge time of year for them, Andrew, as you know. But it's also a big time of year for these uh, kind of weird NFL news aggregators. And last week, uh, Dove Kleiman is the most well-known one. He has like over 150,000 followers. He's everywhere you know, reposts Schefter reports and Rappaport reports and just kind of doesn't, he credits them, but he makes them his own tweet with the own image, mm-hmm. et cetera. And I have a lot of thoughts on this kind of thing first, but I guess my first question to you would be, what do you make of the Dove Climbins of the world? They pop up all over sports, you know, pop mm-hmm. culture now, like these Twitter aggregators who are able to amass massive followings over doing just that simple aggregation like what do you think about them and what do you think that their ultimate goal might be well i think the main goal really is is for them to try and build up their own brand and their own right. following and that came up with climate and some of the stuff he's talked about how this has led to some writing gigs for him it certainly led to a big twitter profile for him and you know in in some ways that's fair uh, I'm I'm certainly not against the concept of aggregation with no. proper credit. Obviously, I, that's I do a lot it for of, a living. A lot of it, yeah, <laughs> a, a, as do I. But but I mean, I think uh, from my from my personal standpoint, I don't love the way that a bunch of these guys do it on Twitter because for for me at least, when I'm aggregating something, I'm trying to add some context, some right. history, some exactly. perspective, and more. I think there isn't really a lot of room to do that just on Twitter. And these guys aren't really doing that on Twitter. They are, they're just relaying literally what somebody else said a lot of the time. And a bunch of the times when they have gone to trouble is when they've made it a little different than, than what somebody said, use some different wording or, 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 or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think there is some value to that for a very, for a certain audience. There, there's a value to that for people who want to know what it, when a transaction is happening in the NFL yeah. or the or the NBA or whatever, and particularly if they want to know if that's happening um, when it is broken by a local person, because not ev- not everyone is going to follow every local NFL NBA reporter the way a right. lot of these aggregators do, and the aggregators, if they're doing it well, they get that out there very quickly. They bring it to a wider audience. There's some value there for some people. 
I think where the, where this gets, and I think also some of the criticism that that Kleiman took in particular is not fair in that people people yelling at him over Trey Wingo's report is not right. really fair. Like that that was that was Trey Wingo. Wingo put that out there. He owns whether that's right or not, and whether he should have said different things about the timing or not. So, I think the criticism of the aggregators. Can be can be fair for um for the, for their existence for for their approach for how they're doing things if they're really adding to the conversation or not, but there are people who like them. They provide value for some people, and mm-hmm. where we should yell at them is when they when they change the wording, when they don't right. give credit, and when when they they're not accurately relaying the original thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a couple of things. I mean, I guess I'll start with um in defense. Of the aggregators, if you will. So I always think of myself, you know, I'm 30 years old and I think, okay, what would a 20 year old me looking to break mm-hmm. into sports writing, mm-hmm. what would I do? Well, 10 years ago when I was 20, I started, you know, a WordPress blog. I started, you know, a podcast that few people mm-hmm. listen to, um, you know, and now if I was a college student looking to gain, you know, uh, gain an audience, build my brand, if you will, I would probably maybe be one of these Twitter aggregators. And that's just how I would do it. And that's how I would build an audience. The difference is, of course, it takes much more time and effort to actually write blog entries. And you're writing those blog entries for like, you know, seven people, all of whom mm-hmm. you're related to probably. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, someone like Dove Kleiman on Twitter, if you're good with the algorithm, which he clearly is, you can amass a big following very quickly. So I think it's like, it's just a difference in how the industry works now, right? If you're looking to break in and build an audience, used to start a blog that nobody read because that was really mm-hmm. the only way to get your voice out there, so to speak. And now- it's evolved to this Twitter aggregation stuff. That's at least my read on it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And um, and uh, I, I came, I'm 35. I came up in a similar yeah. way you did right. with independent blogging and then working for larger sites. And uh, I, it makes me sort of sad that that doesn't seem to be a viable path in a lot of ways anymore and that there isn't really... In a lot of ways, there isn't really the emphasis on writing that there right. used to be, right? Like no. there's so much more emphasis on the social media um, on on just even and beyond like uh, aggregating reports, uh, aggregating quotes, right? And right. just there's yeah. so many accounts that just do the quote graphics of a quote yeah. that given given to somebody else. And like there's there's value to that for some people. There's clearly some people who enjoy getting their sports news just through Twitter and just through aggregators, and that's okay. But I, I do think it is a little unfortunate that it's it's har- harder to break in now in general, and it's harder to break in in a way where you are maybe adding more to the conversation. And and that dovetails nicely to what I was going to say. You know, I do think it's sad in that it really shows like what, is there even really an industry anymore? Uh, Ethan Strauss wrote about this on his Substack last Mm -hmm. week. And I think it's a good point. Like there's all, all these content farms where basically like, Mm -hmm. it's just Schefter reports something and it creates its own news cycle. Everyone aggregates the report. Or as you said, an athlete even tweets something. And then mm-hmm. all the aggregators just aggregate a report. And there's just, it's just the, the all these, you know, Sports Illustrated, basically now a content farm, sadly. Um, so it, it's sad because you're right. It's like, is this really the industry? You know, you want to get into sports media. All right, well, follow all the mm-hmm. NFL insiders and then, you know, uh, tweet out what they say before anybody else. And then boom, that's how you do it. It is, it is sad. And it makes you wonder like, again, is there even really an industry anymore? Really? (laughs) 
Well, and I think that's interesting because, uh, like, this industry has always been shifting, right? Oh, yeah. You know that well from your from your years covering it. But like, there there have been so many cycles over even the last fifteen years of so right. on, and and uh, like even my my nostalgia there for eras of independent blogs well most of those independent blogs were not making money and not providing a way to like actually do this as no. a career or anything right so it was a lot of people and for the people who did manage to use that and turn that into a career that that's awesome but there were a lot of people who put a lot of time and effort into it and got never really got that chance um and then like and then there would be a time where there was a, a while where where blogging and writing was actually sort of profitable for a bunch of people. There were a lot of major media companies that were getting more into it and doing some interesting things there. And then that sort of went away because uh, content habits shift and the way people engage with content shifts. And I, I think that's like we're hitting we're hitting that again now. But I don't think this is even going to be the last evolution. Like I think we're, we're seeing people finding ways. To do interesting new things we're seeing a lot of people uh, younger people doing interesting things with tiktok shows yep. with youtube yes. shows yep. and uh, with new and different podcasts yep. and so on so yep. I, I think like uh, there are some there are some challenges here but there have always been challenges there have always been shifts and i don't think this is the last shift we're going to see yeah, that is right. There's so much creative stuff happening on Twitch as well. You know, maybe that's a 20 year old. Maybe that's maybe that's what I would have done at 20. You know, I, I would start my own Twitch channel. I'll give myself a little more credit. I would be a little more creative maybe than just aggregating. I don't know. Um, so speaking of shifting industry, it's you wrote a great piece, an interview with John Wertham, Sports Illustrated writer, who has a cover story out about the death of the local sports anchor. Obviously, this is not necessarily a news story, um, but what was something that caught your eye about the piece and in talking to him about where this industry stands today in 2023. Yeah, um, I thought it, I thought it was a great piece, and uh, John's original SI piece is well worth a read here. Yeah, um, there were absolutely yeah, and uh, there were a number of things that stood out to me, and uh, I really appreciate getting the chance to talk to him about this and about how um, I think in particular it was it was interesting to get his thoughts on how. Uh, how this crystallizes larger media trends like this is uh, this is related to the rise of cable it's relate and subsequent decline of cable this is related to more recently it's related to in shifts to the internet to the um the absolute lack of need to watch a local sport cast a sports cast for scores anymore right like there's so many other ways to do that that you're getting that information so much sooner and so it, it, it's it's a fascinating it's a fascinating piece on that on those levels, and I think a, a really good point John made to me, and he even um, using the now Michael's quote he got a long time ago that he used in the piece is like a lot of us younger people in particular we certainly don't remember um, remember firsthand maybe we've read about it but we don't really remember firsthand a time when you wanted the the local job rather than the national job rather than working your working your way up into a bigger national role and john talks about how al michaels was really conflicted about leaving hawaii to go work do red stuff and eventually work his way up to that national role and to me that's really fascinating and really interesting um that like that wasn't that long ago all things considered but it's so wildly different from what we mm. see today
Yeah, it totally is. And um, yeah, the local sports anchors used to live like kings. There's no doubt about it. But I mean, industry itself is to blame here, right? Mm-hmm. For the downfall of the local sportscaster. I mean, basically nothing is the same as it was in 1973, mm-hmm. except how yeah. local sports are delivered on TV news. It's like, you know, I feel like sadly these, and it's not their fault, but maybe the network's mm-hmm. fault. I mean, they have no one to blame but themselves. There's been like no evolution in how it's presented. Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. And I thought that was an interesting part of John's article too, was talking to, to some of these guys about trying some, trying some different yeah, yeah. things, going, going hyper-local, maybe yes. showing more of the high school sports yeah. who you won't see. But I, I, I don't know that that entirely fixes it, but I don't no. know, maybe, maybe, you get, maybe you get some people looking at it that way. I think his point on the um, a shift to more uh, uh, opinion and analysis is maybe yeah. interesting. Like yeah. if you've got the right sportscaster who people really care about their like thoughts. Dale Henson in Dallas. Dale yeah. Henson, absolutely. absolutely, Yeah, and and uh, we, we covered Dale a lot and he yep. said some really interesting things and really, yep. really used that yeah. platform in a very interesting way. I think that uh, that in my mind is a really interesting larger shift and one that goes beyond... Um, that goes beyond local sportscasts. And I think we're seeing this with ESPN and with, with their studio shows too, of it's not just about the people who sit there and watch all three hours of first take. It's about let's what's going to play well on Twitter. What's going yep. to play well on YouTube. Right. Like what is a good one minute clip right. that we can widely share. Right. Yeah, I don't think anybody in the world, I refuse to believe, has watched a second of Skip Bayless's show, like, sitting down, but we've all seen it on Twitter. I guess that's what I like to believe. Um, But it's also, like, just, there's just so much content out there, right? And I think it really deals with just the decline, like, everything is so niche today. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even sports coverage, right? If you're an analytics person, there are tons of websites and podcasts Mm -hmm. where you get the analytics coverage. If you want more coverage of the social parts of the game there's tons of people providing that as well and like the local newscast is supposed to appeal to the broadest section of people possible but mm-hmm. that conversely makes it really hard for these sports anchors to find something that is their niche because by definition mm-hmm. a niche product only appear only appeals to a small group of people so it goes against the whole local you know tv newscast setup Let's yeah see. Uh, yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I think I think that's a challenge. And uh, I th- there's always been the challenge, too, of how sportscasts fit into that local news framework. Like some of some of them have fit in very well. Some people have tuned in to the local news mostly for the sportscast. But a local newscast is it's such a different mix of things, right? Like it's it's local stories. It's sometimes national stories, sometimes with a local angle. A lot of time it's weather. What I find really interesting about what, uh, watching games on broadcast TV is all all the in-house ads are for the for the weather. It's all and weather, we, yeah. yeah. We've got the best weather person. Come all watch weather. our come watch our yeah. weather, and no one else's, right? Yeah. And so, like within this newscast, you're trying to reach so many different people who are maybe only interested in one specific part of it, and I think that makes the job even harder. Yeah, especially around here in Boston, where you got 12 inches of snow all winter. And every time there's a threat of precipitation, you know, nor'easter coming. And you're like, okay, it was half an inch. So, uh, yeah. Andrew Buckholtz, read him on Awful Announcing Farm on Twitter. Andrew, thanks for the time. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Alex.